The Twelfth Oration of Marcus Tullius Cicero against Marcus Antonius, called also the Twelfth Philippic. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Twelfth Philippic The Argument Decimus Brutus was in such distress in Mutina that his friends began to be alarmed, fearing that, if he fell into the hands of Antonius, he would be treated as Trebonius had been. And, as the friends of Antonius gave out that he was now more inclined to come to terms with the Senate, a proposition was made and supported by Panza to send a second embassy to him, and even Cicero at first consented to it, and allowed himself to be nominated with Servilius and three other senators, all of consular rank, but on more mature reflection he was convinced that he had been guilty of a blunder, and that the object of Antonius and his friends was only to gain time for Ventidius to join him with his three legions. Accordingly, at the next meeting of the Senate, he delivered the following speech, retracting his former sanction of the proposed embassy. And he spoke so strongly against it that the measure was abandoned, and Panza soon afterwards marched with his army to join Hirtius and Octavius, with the intention of forcing Antonius to a battle. Although, O conscript fathers, it seems very unbecoming for that man whose counsels you have so often adopted in the most important of affairs to be deceived and deluded, and to commit mistakes, yet I console myself since I made the mistake in company with you, and in company also with a consul of the greatest wisdom. For when two men of consular rank had brought us hope of an honorable peace, they appeared as being friends and extremely intimate with Marcus Antonius, to be aware of some weak point about him with which we were unacquainted. His wife and children are in the house of one. The other is known every day to send letters to, and to receive letters from, and openly to favor Antonius. These men, then, appeared likely to have some reason for exhorting us to peace, which they had done for some time. The consul, too, added the weight of his exhortation. And what a consul! If we look for prudence, one who was not easily to be deceived, if for virtue and courage, one who would never admit of peace unless Antonius submitted and confessed himself to be vanquished, if for greatness of mind, one who would prefer death to slavery. You too, O conscript fathers, appeared to be induced to think not of accepting, but of imposing conditions, not so much because you were forgetful of your most important and dignified resolutions, as because you had hopes suggested you of a surrender on the part of Antonius, which his friends preferred to call peace. My own hopes, and I imagine yours also, were increased by the circumstance of my hearing that the family of Antonius was overwhelmed with distress, and that his wife was incessantly lamenting. In this assembly, too, I saw that the partisans, on whose countenance my eyes are always dwelling, looked more sorrowful than usual. And if this is not so, why, on a sudden, has mention been made of peace by Piso and Calenus of all people in the world? Why, at this particular moment, why, so unexpectedly? Piso declares that he knows nothing, that he has not heard anything. Calenus declares that no news has been brought, and they make that statement now, after they think we are involved in a pacific embassy. What need have we, then, of any new determination? if no new circumstances have arisen to call for one. 
We have been deceived, we have, I say, been deceived, O conscript fathers. It is the cause of Antonius that has been pleaded by his friends, and not the cause of the public. I did indeed see that, though through a, a sort of mist, the safety of Decimus Brutus had dazzled my eyesight. But if in war substitutes were in the habit of being given, I would gladly allow myself to be hemmed in, so long as Decimus Brutus might be released. But we were caught by this expression of Quintus Fufius. Shall we not listen to Antonius even if he retires from Mutina? Shall we not even if he declares that he will submit himself to the authority of the Senate? It seemed harsh to say that. Thus it was, we were broken, we yielded. Does he then retire from Mutina? I don't know. Is he obeying the Senate? I, I think so, says Calenus. But as to preserve his own dignity at the same time. You then, O conscript fathers, are to make great exertions for the express purpose of losing our own dignity, which is very great, and of preserving that of Antonius, which neither has nor can have any existence, and of enabling him to recover that, by your conduct, which he has lost by his own. But, however, that matter is not open for consideration now. An embassy has been appointed. But what is there which is not open for consideration to a wise man, as long as it can be remodeled? Any man is liable to a mistake. But no one but a downright fool will persist in error. For second thoughts, as people say, are best. The mist which I spoke of just now is dispelled. Light has arisen. The case is plain. We see everything, and that not by our own acuteness, but we are warned by our friends. You heard just now what was the statement made by a most admirable man. I found, said he, his house, his wife, his children, all in great distress. Good men marveled at me. My friends blamed me for having been led by the hope of peace to undertake an embassy. And no wonder, O Publius Servilius, for by your own most true and most weighty arguments, Antonius was stripped, I do not say of all dignity, but even every hope of safety. Who would not wonder if you were to go as an ambassador to him? I judge by my own case, for with regard to myself I see how the same design as you conceived is found fault with. Are we the only people blamed? What? Did that most gallant man speak so long and so precisely a little while ago, without any reason? What was he laboring for, except to remove from himself a groundless suspicion of treachery? And whence did that suspicion arise? From his unexpected advocacy of peace, which he adopted all of a sudden, being taken in by the same error that we were. But if an error has been committed, O conscript fathers, owing to a groundless and fallacious hope, let us return into the right road. The best harbor for a penitent is a change of intention. For what, in the name of the immortal gods, what good can our embassy do to the Republic? What good do I say? What will you say if it will even do us harm? Will do us harm? What if it already has done us harm? Do you suppose that the most energetic and fearless desire shown by the Roman people for recovery of their liberty has been damped and weakened by hearing of this embassy for peace? What do you think the municipal towns feel, and the colonies? 
what do you think will be the feelings of all Italy? Do you suppose that it will continue to glow with the same zeal with which it burnt before to extinguish this common conflagration? Do we not suppose that those men will repent of having professed and displayed so much hatred to Antonius, who promised us money and arms, who devoted themselves wholly, body, heart, and soul to the safety of the Republic? How will Capua, which at the present time feels like a second Rome, approve of this design of yours? That city pronounced them impious citizens, cast them out, and kept them out. Antonius was barely saved from the hands of that city, which made a most gallant attempt to crush him. Need I say more? Are we not by these proceedings cutting the sinews of our own legions? For what man can engage with ardor in a war, when the hope of peace is suggested to him? Even that godlike and divine martial legion will grow languid at and be cowed by the receipt of this news, and will lose that most noble title of martial. Their swords will fall to the ground, their weapons will drop from their hands. For, following the Senate, it will not consider itself bound to feel more bitter hatred against Antonius than the Senate. I am ashamed for this legion. I am ashamed for the fourth legion, which, approving of our authority, with equal virtue, abandoned Antonius, not looking upon him as their consul and general, but as an enemy and attacker of their country. I am ashamed for that admirable army which is made up of two armies, which has now been reviewed and which has started for Mutina, and which, if it hears a word of peace, that is to say, of our fear, even if it does not return, will at all events halt. For who, when the Senate recalls him and sounds a retreat, will be eager to engage in battle? For what can be more unreasonable than for us to pass resolutions about peace without the knowledge of those men who wage war, and not only without their knowledge, but even against their will? Do you think that Aulus Hirtius, that most illustrious consul, and that Gaius Caesar, a man born by the especial kindness of the gods for this special crisis, whose letters, announcing their hope of victory, I hold in my hand, are desirous of peace? Leader, and still we cannot bear the countenances, or support the language of those men who are left behind in the city, out of their number. What do you think will be the result when such numbers force their way into the city at one time, when we have laid aside our arms, and that they have not laid aside theirs? Must we not be defeated for everlasting, in consequence of our own counsels? Place before your eyes Marcus Antonius, as a man of consular rank. Add to him Lucius, hoping to obtain the consulship. Join to them all of the rest, and those two not confined to our order, who are fixing then thoughts on honors and commands. Do not despise the Tyros and the Numisii, or the Mustelli, or the Seii. A peace made with those men will not be peace, but a covenant of slavery. That was an admirable expression of Lucius Piso, a most honorable man, and one which has been deservedly praised by you, O Panza, not only in this order, but also in the assembly of the people. He said that he would depart from Italy and leave his household gods and his native home, if, but might the gods avert such a disaster, Antonius overwhelmed the Republic. 
I ask, therefore, of you, O Lucius Piso, whether you would not think the Republic overwhelmed if so many men of such impiety, of such audacity, of such guilt, were admitted into it. Do you think that men, whom we could hardly bear when they were not yet polluted with such parasitical treasons, will be able to be borne by the city now that they are immersed in every sort of wickedness? Believe me, we must either adopt your plan and retire, depart, embrace a life of indigence and wandering, or else we must offer our throats to those robbers and perish in our country. What has become, O Gaius Panza, of those noble exhortations of yours, by whom the Senate was roused, and the Roman people stimulated, not only hearing, but also learning from you, that there is nothing more disgraceful to a Roman than slavery? Was it for this that we assumed the garb of war, and took arms, and roused up all the youth all over Italy, in order that while we had a most flourishing and numerous army, we might send ambassadors to treat for peace? If that peace is to be received by others, why do we not wait to be entreated for it? If our ambassadors are to beg it, what is it that we are afraid of? Shall I make one of this embassy, or shall I be mixed up with its design, in which, even if I should dissent from the rest of my colleagues, the Roman people will not know it? The result will be, that if anything be granted or conceded, it will be my danger if Antonius commits any offense, since the power to commit them will seem to have been put in his hands by me. But even if it had been proper to entertain any idea of peace with the piratical crew of Marcus Antonius, still I was the last person who ought to have been selected to negotiate such a peace. I never voted for sending ambassadors. Before the return of the last ambassadors, I ventured to say that peace itself, even if they did bring it, ought to be repudiated, since war would be concealed under the name of peace. I was the chief adviser of the adoption of the garb of war. I have invariably called that man a public enemy, when others have been calling him only an adversary. I have always pronounced this to be war, while others have styled it only a tumult. Nor have I done this in the Senate alone. I have always acted in the same way before the people. Nor have I spoken against himself only, but also against the accomplices in and agents of his crimes, whether present here or there with him. In short, I have been at all times inveighed against the whole family and party of Antonius. Therefore, as those impious citizens began to congratulate one another the moment the hope of peace was presented to them, as if they had gained the victory, so also they abused me as unjust. They made complaints against me. They distrusted Servilius also. They recollected that Antonius had been damaged by his avowed opinions and propositions. They recollected that Lucius Caesar, though a brave and consistent senator, is still his uncle, that Calenus is his agent, that Piso is his intimate friend. They think that you yourself, O Panza, though a most vigorous and fearless consul, are now become more mercifully inclined. Not that it really is so, or that it possibly can be so, but the fact of a mention of peace having been made by you has given rise to a suspicion in the hearts of many that you have changed your mind a little. The friends of Antonius are annoyed at me being included among these persons, and we must no doubt yield to them, since we have once begun to be liberal. Let the ambassadors go, with all our good wishes, but let those men go, 
at whom Antonius may take no offense. But if you are not anxious about what he may think at all events, O conscript fathers, you ought to have some regard for me. At least spare my eyes, and make some allowance for a just indignation. For with what countenance shall I be able to behold, I do not say, the enemy of my country, for hatred of him on that score I feel in common with all of you. But how shall I be able to look upon that man who is my own most bitter personal enemy, as his most furious harangues against me plainly declare him? Do you think that I am so completely made of iron as to be able, unmoved, to meet him or to look at him? Who lately, when in an assembly of the people, he was making presents to those men who appeared to him the most audacious of his band of parasitical traitors, said that he gave my property to Pistisius of Urbinum, a man, after the shipwreck of a very splendid patrimony, was dashed against those rocks of Antonius. Shall I be able to bear the sight of Lucius Antonius, a man from whose cruelty I could not have escaped if I had not defended myself behind the walls and gates and by the zeal of my own municipal town. And this same Asiatic gladiator, this plunderer of Italy, this colleague of Lenti and Nucula, when he was given some pieces of gold to Aquila the centurion, said that he was giving him some of my property. For, if he had said he was giving him some of his own, he thought that the eagle itself would not have believed it. <laughs> my eyes cannot... My eyes, I say, will not bear the sight of Saxa, of Capho, or the two praetors, or the tribune of the people, or the two tribunes elect, or Bestia, or Tribulius, or Titus Plancus. I cannot look with equanimity on so many, and those such foul, such wicked enemies, nor is that feeling caused by any fastidiousness of mine, but by my affection for the Republic. But... I will not subdue my feelings, and keep my own inclinations under restraint. If I cannot eradicate my most just indignation, I will conceal it. What? Do you not think, O conscript fathers, that I should have had some regard for my own life? But that, indeed, has never been an object of so much concern to me, especially since Dolabella has acted in such a way that death is the desirable thing, provided it come without torments and tortures. But in your eyes, and in those of the Roman people, my life ought not to appear of no consequence, for I am a man, unless I am deceived in my estimate of myself, who, by my vigilance and anxiety, by the opinions which I have delivered, and by the dangers, too, of which I have encountered great numbers, by reasons of the most bitter hatred which all impious men bear me, have at least, not to seem to say anything too boastful, conducted myself so as to be no injury to the Republic. And, as this is the case, do you think that I ought to have no consideration for my own danger? Even here, when I was in this city and at home, nevertheless, attempts were made against me, in a place where I have not only the fidelity of my friends, but the eyes also of the entire city to guard me. What do you think will be the case when I have gone on a journey, and that too a long one, do you think I shall have no occasion to fear plots then? There are three roads to Mutina, a place which my mind longs to see, in order that I may behold as speedily as possible that pledge of freedom of the Roman people, Decimus Brutus, in whose embrace I would willingly yield up my parting breath, 
when all my actions for the last many months and all my opinions and propositions have resulted in the end which i proposed myself there are as i have said three roads the flaminian road along the adriatic the aurelian road along the mediterranean coast and the midland road which is called the cassian now take notice i beg of you whether my suspicions of danger to myself is at variance with a reasonable conjecture the cassian road goes through etruria do you not know then o panza over what places the authority of lenti cassinius as a septemvir prevails at present he certainly is not on our side either in mind or body but if he is at home or not far from home he is certainly in etruria that is in my road who then will undertake to me that lenti will be content with exacting one life alone tell me besides o panza where ventidius is a man to whom i have always been friendly before he became so openly an enemy to the republic and to all good men i may avoid the cassian road and take the flaminian what if as it is said ventidius has arrived at ancona shall i be able in that case to reach aramium in safety the aurelian road remains and here too i shall find a protector for on that road are the possessions of publius clodius his whole household will come out to meet me and will invite me to partake of their hospitality on account of my notorious intimacy with their master shall i then trust myself on those roads i who lately on the day of the feast of terminus did not dare even to go into the suburbs and to return by the same road on the same day i can scarcely defend myself within the walls of my own house without the protection of my friends therefore i remain in the city and if i am allowed to do so i will remain this is my proper place this is my beat this is my post as a sentinel this is my station as a defender of the city let others occupy camps and kingdoms and engage in the conduct of the war let them show the active hatred of the enemy we as we say and as we have often hitherto done will in common with you defend the city and affairs of the city nor do i shrink from this office although i see the roman people shrink from it for me no one is less timid than i am no one more cautious the facts speak for themselves this is the twentieth year that i have been a mark for the attempts of all wicked men therefore they have paid to the republic not to say to me the penalty of their wickedness as yet the republic has preserved me in safety for itself i am almost afraid to say what i am going to say for i know that any accident may happen to a man but still when i was once hemmed in by the united force of many most influential men i yielded voluntarily and fell in such a manner as to be able to rise again in the most honorable manner can i then appear as cautious and as prudent as i ought to be if i commit myself to a journey so full of enemies and dangers to me those men who are concerned in the government of the republic ought at their death to leave behind them glory and not reproaches for their fault or grounds for blaming their folly what good man is there who does not mourn for the death of trebonius who is there who does not grieve for the loss of such a citizen and such a man 
but there are men who say, hastily indeed, but still, they do say so, that he deserves to be grieved for less because he did not take precautions against a desperately wicked man. In truth, a man who professes to be himself a defender of many men, wise men say, ought in the first place to show himself able to protect his own life. I say that when one is fenced around by the laws and by the fear of justice, a man is not bound to be afraid of everything or to take precautions against all imaginable designs. For who would dare to attack a man in daylight, on a military road, or a man who is well attended, or an illustrious man? But these considerations have no bearing on the present time, nor in my case, for not only would a man who offered violence to me have no fear of punishment, but he would even hope to obtain glory and rewards from those band of robbers. These dangers I can guard against in the city. It is easy for me to look around and see where I am going out from, whither I am going, what there is on my right hand and on my left. Shall I be able to do the same on the roads of the Ampadines? In which, even if there should be no ambush, as there easily may be, still my mind will be kept in such a state of anxiety as not to be able to attend to the duties of an embassy. But suppose I have escaped all plots against me, and have passed over the Apennines. Still I have to encounter a meeting and a conference with Antonius. What place am I to select? If it is outside the camp, the rest may look to themselves. I think that death would come upon me instantly. I know the frenzy of the man. I know his unbridled violence. The ferocity of his manners and the savageness of his nature is not usually softened even by wine. Then, inflamed by anger and insanity, with his brother Lucius, that foulest of beasts, at his side, he will never keep his sacrilegious and impious hands from me. I can recollect conferences with most bitter enemies, and with citizens in a state of the most bitter disagreement. Nius Pompeius, the son of Sextus, being consul, in my presence, when I was serving my first campaign in his army, had a conference with Publius Vettius Scato, the general of the Marcians, between the camps, and I recollect that Sextus Pompeius, the brother of the consul, a very learned and wise man, came thither from Rome to the conference, and when Scato saluted him, What, said he, am I to call you? Call me, said he, one who is by inclination a friend, by necessity an enemy. That conference was conducted with fairness. There was no fear, no suspicion. Even their mutual hatred was not great. For the allies were not seeking to take our city from us, but to be themselves admitted to share the privileges of it. Sulla and Scipio, one attended by the flower of the nobility, the other by the allies, had a conference between the Cales and Tinum, respecting the authority of the Senate, the suffrages of the people, and the privileges of citizenship, and agreed upon conditions and stipulations. Good faith was not strictly observed at that conference, but still there was no violence used and no danger incurred. But can we be equally safe among Antonius's piratical crew? We cannot, or, even if the rest can, I do not believe that I can. What will be the case if we are not to confer out of the camp? What camp is to be chosen for the conference? He will never come into our camp, much less will we go to his. It follows, then, that all demands must be received and sent to and fro by means of letters. We shall be in our respective camps, on all his demands I shall have but one opinion, 
and when I have stated it here, in your hearing, you may think that I have gone, and that I have come back again. I shall have finished my embassy. As far as my sentiments can prevail, I shall refer every demand which Antonius makes to the Senate. For, indeed, we have no power to do otherwise, nor have we received any commission from this assembly, such as, when a war is terminated, is usually, in accordance with the precedences of your ancestors, entrusted to the ambassadors. Nor, in fact, have we received any particular commission from the Senate at all. And, as I shall pursue this line of conduct in the council, where some, as I imagine, will oppose it, have I not a reason to fear that the ignorant mob may think that peace is delayed by my means? Suppose now that the new legions do not disapprove of my resolution, for I am quite sure that the martial legion and the fourth legion will not approve of anything which is contrary to dignity and honor. What then? Have we no regard for the opinion of the veterans? For even they themselves do not wish to be feared by us. Still, how will they receive my severity? For they have heard many false statements concerning me. Wicked men have circulated among them calumnies against me. Their advantage, indeed, as you all are most perfect witnesses of, I have always promoted, in my opinion, by my authority and by my language. But they believe wicked men, they believe seditious men, they believe their own party. They are indeed brave men, but by reason of their exploits which they have performed in the cause of the freedom of the Roman people and of the safety of the Republic, they are too ferocious and too much inclined to bring all our counsels under the sway of their own violence. Their deliberate reflection I am not afraid of, but I confess I dread their impetuosity. If I escape all these great dangers too, do you think my return will be completely safe? For when I have, according to my usual custom, defended your authority, and have proved my good faith towards the Republic, and my firmness, then I shall have to fear not those men alone who hate me, but those also who envy me. Let my life, then, be preserved for the Republic. Let it be kept for the service of my country, as long as my dignity or nature will permit. And let death, either by the necessity of fate, or, if it must be encountered earlier, let it be encountered with glory. This being the case, although the Republic has no need, to say the least of it, of this embassy, still, if it be possible for me to go on it in safety, I am willing to go. Altogether, O conscript fathers, I shall regulate the whole of my conduct in this affair, not to any consideration of my own danger, but by the advantage of the Republic. And, as I have plenty of time, I think that it behooves me to deliberate upon that over and over again, and to adopt that line of conduct which I shall judge to be the most beneficial to the Republic. End of the Twelfth Oration of Marcus Tullius Cicero against Marcus Antonius, called also the Twelfth Philippic.